If they want to get you, they'll get you. The NSA specifically targets the communications of everyone. They're collecting your communications. Okay, everybody. Happy Thought Crime Thursday. We are here after a big streaming week, and we have Blake Neff. Howdy. Andrew. Producer Andrew's in person. Got you. And remotely is Jack Posobiec. Jack, how we doing? I just like to, I'm just really excited that producer Andrew was able to slip over the border after that, uh, you know, uh, swimming incident he had on the Rio Grande. <laughs> it's like, where's he going with this? Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, the feds want me to uh, report soon, but I'm, I'm here tonight. That's not yeah, true. The, they the don't Biden care about tracking actually, anyone who crosses. That would be, actually, to that would be one deportation they would do. They, they asked where I wanted to yes. go in the interior. Yes. I said Phoenix. That's where all the uh, illegals are hanging out. So that's why I'm here. That would be one uh, deportation they would yes. fulfill. I'll tell you what. All right, so, so Jack, I spoke over you a lot during the Iowa live stream. Sorry. Uh, so therefore, we're going to give you uninterrupted time to talk about the back of the bus. The wheels on the bus go round and round. <laughs> what is the bus? Shall one go the to the bus. back of the bus? Go Does under the bus, the bus go forward? Is it better to be in front of the bus or on the bus? And is this a Rosa Parks moment? <laughs> well, there are many spots on the bus. Yeah, so I made the I made the comment, um, and I was doing a live stream, I guess, on well, my show. It wasn't a live stream. It was my show the day after the Iowa primary, after our live stream. And this sort of debate had been raging on uh, online, and then uh, you had mentioned it on air, and, you know, you come on right before me, so everyone was sort of having this conversation. It bled over into our shows, as these things do on social media and, and just sort of in the... Uh, in the information space. And the question, of course, becomes what to do with the people who say they want to unite the party now that they realize that they were on the losing end of the primary. And, you know, the question is, I, I think it's multifaceted. And I had Raheem on and we had some great questions and some great repartee about this. And, you know, we've all been through a few election cycles at this point. So it's not like this is the first time we've we've been uh, we've encountered this question. And, and I basically said it like this. I said, look, there's a big bus. The bus has a lot of seats on it, um, but not all seats are the same. Some seats are in the front. Some seats are in the middle. Some seats are in the back by the bathrooms. And yes, I was obviously playing off of the MLK uh, stuff familiar in this week. And, and then I said, you know, but there are some people who don't get on the bus because, you know, well, well, I should say, by the way, there's also strap hangers, you know, for the people who are standing on the bus. There's a roof rack. There's people who maybe they can push the bus for a little while. Uh, over here in the Northeast, we've had a lot of snow. So we'll need people to plow the roads in certain parts of the bus, uh, Iowa as well. But then there's snakes. Snakes are not allowed on the bus because there will be no snakes on the bus. And I think that's pretty much where I, I come down on this. Uh, you yourself said on the show that, you know, there's there's circles to this um, inner circle, outer circle, far outer circle. And then and then the one thing, though, that I would like to address, and I was on Sean Spicer's show yesterday, we had the same conversation. And maybe if I wasn't completely clear about this, I'm not talking about the voters, okay? People said, whoa, whoa, if I supported someone else in the primary, I said, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about voters. I'm not talking about anything like that. Look, 
I've been through enough election cycles to know politics, it, you win through addition, not subtraction. So yes, we want every vote and everyone is welcome to vote for Donald Trump now. Uh, I think everyone probably should have done that a year ago and saved us this uh, ridiculous exercise, but okay, here we are. Um, and so look, yes, we do need every single vote that we can get. That being said, what I was talking about were thought leaders, specifically thought leaders. And for those thought leaders that, that weren't, you know, doing the things that they could be doing uh, during the primary, there's one space, but then there's, there's a certain type of person that did not comport, comport themselves very well during the primary. And, you know, uh, I, I got a call earlier today from uh, my good buddy, Danny Lippman over at the, uh, at Politico. And he said, he said, who are you talking about, Jack? Who are you talking about? And I said, and I said, did you see Jeremy Redfern on Twitter today? And I said, this is a, just a perfect example. And I understand that he's, you know, the governor's official staff as his press secretary, but he's also an influencer in many ways. Um, you can be official staff, you can be campaign staff. In fact, by the way, if you are being a good staffer in modern politics, you should be an influencer. And that's uh, another discussion. And, and Troy, I think you'll agree with me on that, that, you know, you should be out there every day defending your candidate, pushing narratives, responding to things in the news. Everything is comms anymore. And yet Jeremy Redfern posted a tweet today from, again, he's being paid by, I don't know, I don't think he was off today. So it looked like he was on the clock being paid by the taxpayers of Florida saying that Donald Trump was missing from the campaign trail. And not only was he missing, but the fact that he was in his basement. Um, yeah, there's a major news cycle over the past 24 hours that Donald Trump asked to be let out of court today so that he could attend the funeral for his mother-in-law, for his wife's mother who died his, his son's grandmother, okay, uh, Amalia Kavas. And uh, this was a situation where these same people, these very same people, um, maybe not Jeremy directly, but the DeSantis camp had been attacking Melania Trump because she didn't appear at any of the holiday parties for uh, Mar-a-Lago over the holidays, whether it be Christmas, whether it be New Year, she was, you know, conspicuously absent from Christmas photos and things. And they were attacking her as missing and saying that she was on the outs. And there's something Brian Stelter had done as a conspiracy theory during the administration at one point as well. Well, it turns out that instead of just asking around, I mean, they're in Florida, it wouldn't be that hard to figure out if you had like actual sources. Um, she was attending her mother while she was on her deathbed. And so, you know, when I say no snakes on the bus, I'm, I'm thinking of people like this specifically. People like this, absolutely. You're not just off on the back of the bus. We're throwing you out the back door of the back of the bus. Uh, and people like Jamie Dimon, when they want to suddenly run around up there, flapping his gums at Davos, at the World Economic Forum, on CNBC, wearing his Ukrainian lapel pin, Ukrainian flag lapel pin, suddenly, suddenly this guy who, yes, was, did pay $75 million to Jeffrey Epstein's um, uh, victims because JP Morgan, which he's the chairman of, was the banker for Epstein's money. You know, he, he's suddenly talking about how important it is that he loves MAGA and Trump's a great guy and we shouldn't insult Trump voters. And it's like, okay, I can see what's going on here. I can see what's going on. Certain people are on the bus, certain people are off. So your take, Andrew, your response. Well, I think, Jack, where this is coming from, people have to understand where this comes from in the context of everybody, at least at this table. We've we've been through this in 2016, 2020, and I think universally there's a a love, especially, much, uh, and I don't mean to talk for you, Charlie, but massive influencers within the MAGA movement, Jack, Charlie, you guys have a universal love for Trump. 
the person. You guys have sat with them, had dinner with them. Like, there is a genuine affection, I think, that goes both ways. Where it starts breaking down, at least in past experiences, is there are certain people that glob onto power within the inner circles of the, the Trump orbits, right? And that has created a lot of consternation in the past, a lot of burned bridges, a lot of hurt feelings, not necessarily with people here, but we've all heard about it. And it is, on the one hand, something that's just necessary. It's, it's going to happen. It's inevitable, rather, that you're going to have certain people that you're close with, not so close with within the Trump orbit. But what we're saying is, listen, this has been a, a season where we know who our true friends are. You have seen the people that will stick by you through thick and thin in this last season because it was very easy for a lot of people because we saw so many examples of people yeah. taking the paycheck, people going on. I mean, for the record, you know, Charlie does not get paid a dime to say something nice about Trump. No, I get nothing. But you, kind of, I've, no. we've, we've lost tons of donors. I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to just be very transparent with the audience and I want everyone's advice. So I got a text message from somebody this week, and I didn't respond. And I prayed about it. I wanted to respond a certain way, and I didn't respond a certain way. And it's it's somebody that's actually being debated online of whether or not forgiveness shall be offered. And mm. it's Steve Cortez. Ah, and I like Steve a lot. Yeah, I like Steve he too. He came on. So I'm being very transparent. He's been on our, he's been on our show. This is not an anti-Steve thing, but it's a principled thing, right? Right. Because I was very bothered by I how. Threw him a retweet. I, oh, you threw him a retweet. Great. So, so, so I just, I want the audience. Well, that, and remind me, what did Steve do? Well, okay. okay so he, he didn't, he didn't uh, burn down a Wendy's, but no, but he, let me <sighs> well, tell he'd you. he'd be a saint. We'd have a statue of yeah, him. Yeah. Let me tell you, <laughs> let, let me tell you. And Steve texted me and he's, he's texted me this tweet he about uniting behind, behind Donald John Trump. Here's what happened is Steve was super MAGA all spring. MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. He was frequently on War Room, great economic analysis. On our show. He was on our show and he goes dark for a week and then out of nowhere he becomes a spokesperson for DeSantis. Out pack. of nowhere. Doesn't tell anyone. It was like a really weird, That was the weirdest shift. one. His daughter still works for the Trump campaign and her daughter was subtweeting her dad and then all of a sudden he like wouldn't respond to texts and was like, DeSantis can be the nominee and was like, bro, how much money's involved in this? And like, mm -hmm. it was just kind of not... Cringe. Yeah, it wasn't the way you do things. I think again, I'm, but I'm not. I'm Usually, not when someone you it, when someone you talk to, it, it would be like it would be like if I suddenly went to work for DeSantis out <laughs> yeah. of nowhere, and by the way, hadn't like sent a message to anyone I talk to on a regular basis to say, "Hey guys, by the way, I'm I'm thinking of doing this. Here's my thought. Just none of that, right? You know, none of no, didn't pick up the phone to call anybody, and just one day, boom, this is all of a sudden happening. Um, Raheem, who, uh, you know, I think as everybody knows, um, is another, uh, what do you call it? Co-host, guest host, you know, kind of on the, uh, on the war room roster. And, um, you know, he said something uh, quite prescient, I think on the show, he said, look, um, get out there and do the work, get out there and do the work and show us that you're interested in actually winning and actually defeating Joe Biden. And, and that's the way back. Right. You know, it's it, it really isn't this this big test of like, should we let you in or not? It's just go out there and do good work. And and these things will kind of happen on their own. I agree with that. I, I just to you. Sorry, Charlie. You, no, I'm just I, I so I'm I'm battling and wrestling. Do we let him immediately back into the camp? Because it was all DeSantis all the time. Sudden shift as if nothing happens. Yep. But I would I, say, Charlie. And just on Steve, just on Steve, and I'll say this quickly, is that 
uh, he he did not comport himself the way that like a Jeremy Redfern did, right? I don't remember him getting anything personal. I don't remember him attacking Donald Trump personally. I don't remember him um, attacking any of us personally, calling us stupid, calling us names, saying things like Ashley Babbitt should have died, um, which Jeremy Redfern did say. Um, so, you know, when I talk about people who comported themselves a certain way, that's kind of who I'm talking about. Now, the question of letting someone back into the camp, where do they sit on the bus? Do they sit on the bus? Those are all different questions, but I would not put him in the category of, you know. Would you, would you let him I back on the bus, Jack? He retweeted him. Oh, I gave him the retweet, Retweets, Retweets are not necessarily endorsements, though. As <laughs> as they all say, as they all say, Blake, where, where well, do you look, fall? Said, the bus so, might but, need but, pushing. But Blake, uh, and, and, and I know that you very well might be tempted to say, "Come on, don't hold the grudges." However, Trump world should be a little on guard for sure about for sure. personnel that are not in alignment with. They they definitely should be. I, I feel like that's probably the funny thing is. I feel like we'll get this mega bloodlust almost like don't let any of the traitors back in and then we'll turn around and it'll be a year from now and we'll be like, why are there three Democrats in the cabinet and why is he only giving interviews to the New hey, York Blake Times again? Win. He might, yeah. <laughs> he might and win. He, could, he easily could win. And I think the big fear a lot of people have is what if all the mistakes that were made in 2017 that could easily be chalked up to inexperience, it was a totally unprecedented time, but... What if we fall back into the same habits again? Yeah, I'm not sure the easy way point. to answer that. This this is what's driving a lot of this conversation is because there was really two pieces of it. There was the behind the scenes piece, right? People getting close to Trump, Jack, you know this really well that would either block out or embrace and you were and we all sort of knew who the true believers were and who the, who they weren't. You guys better than I. And then there was the front of house people, the people that were public that you were like the, these people ended up being the biggest snakes in the grass that you can imagine. And I think, Jack, you tweeted out something like uh, that, that, you know, these people that are come, trying to come back to Trump and cozy on up to Trump after Iowa are getting the snake in the grass poem. And, and I, I, you know, from a personnel standpoint, we saw time and again how his, how his policies were thwarted by bad personnel choices, right? So we're all saying like, hey, we, we've got a very hardcore agenda here. We're going to deport 10 million illegals. We're going to we're gonna knock off the DEI. We we're got gonna, stuff we, to we do. We got stuff to do. Yeah, and, and we don't want these globalists that, that like secretly wish Nikki won the you know nom, but you know don't want to be irrelevant either, trying to cozy back up to the guy that's supposed to be leading the charge here. And, and, and I, here's here's the issue too is with with appointments. And I'm not. By the way, I'm not talking even about appointments at this point. I'm I'm, I'm talking just very loosely, like you know, I, I don't even know, like retweets, right? Like like throwing somebody a retweet is. Um, you know, what did we learn from the first administration? That you cannot trust anyone. You can't even trust paper pushers. What was this guy, Miles Anonymous Taylor no, or something? A, he was like this is a great example. Second uh, slow Miles level. Taylor. By the way, this guy was part. Staff, yeah. I'm not going to say it. I, I, I was once at a social function with him. I never liked him. He's a weasel. And, and by the way, he's the one that literally wrote these pieces. Remember this in the New York Times? Uh, I am anonymous. Oh, and he was I, anonymous. Oh, uh, and I yes. am a heartbeat away, and I, I keep things off his desk, and I am the true check and balance. The founding fathers would be proud of me because I am the true, you because know, right? I, I am the conscious of the nation. Remember that, yes. Jack? Yes. That I, 29-year-old, mm -hmm. you know, who went to Yale. And and then we had the guessing game for like a couple weeks of, <laughs> yeah. you know. I'd say we all thought it things. would be like someone serious. Yeah, sorry, Blake, go ahead. Oh, I just think there's a couple things worth bringing up. One, as Angela points out in our chat, we do, you know, Trump 
has the nomination locked up, but even though I have just predicted that he will win, I don't, you know, it's not guaranteed. No, no, we all And one of the hazards is if you have DeSantis or Haley people, I guess, feel really bitter about the way the primary went and it ended, they can, of course, not vote or they could throw in with RFK. We're already seeing a few people do that. Can I ask you a question? What does history tell us about the best process to heal these wounds yet keep your standards high? What, where could we point to of someone who's done that the best? Team Arrivals. Lincoln. It's hard for me. I'm to, not, I don't think Team Arrivals I, is a good example. I so. feel like, oh, truthfully, I know. traditionally... Up, can, hold like on, let Blake answer the question. Hold on, I want to hear Traditionally, this has just sort of been self-healing because partisan instincts in the U.S. are so strong, pretty durable, that... People would just think, oh, I don't want Biden. The, you know, the moving principle here is no one wants Biden to win. And so over time, as you get closer and closer to the election, wounds do organically heal. And the most obvious case of this is 2016. 2016 was a wild time. People said wild stuff. You had people who were big fans of Ted Cruz, Me. of Marco Rubio, of all these, you know, a lot of these, you know, conservatives who'd done a lot. And Trump really ridiculed them. He embarrassed them. And this was really bitter. Remember, Ted the, Cruz didn't the convention. Endorse, Ted Cruz would yeah. not endorse him at the convention, and people were enraged at that. I was enraged about mm. it. Just how can you do this? And then just well, we didn't want Hillary to win, so people got over yeah. it. Even Cruz did endorse to by that, to election that, day. We're correct? It's a, uh, I can't remember. He did just endorse, ironically. But I will never forget. And I wonder if Jack, Charlie, Blake, if you guys remember this moment, it was like two weeks before the election in 2016. You've got this firebrand Trump, this unknown commodity. He brings Pence along. And I do think, you know, Pence obviously is not the most popular guy in the movement these days. He, he was uh, well respected a, got, at the time. Yeah, got into a public feud with Charlie, actually, uh, ironically. During recently. ActCon. During ActCon, during the summer. But the he said... I remember it was like on 60 Minutes or something, one of these old establishment kind of outlets, and he said, he looked right in the camera and he said, it's time to come home. Just super boring. Like, you know, it's time, everybody, just come on home. And I remember thinking, like, it, that was a powerful moment because it, it spoke to the people that probably are backing DeSantis right now, but it was a healing moment, and it was like, okay, if Mike Pence, old, boring, you know, Mike Pence is telling you to come back and back this guy, okay, that's that's comforting somehow. And, man, the funny thing is, is when you said you, you know, he had a feud with Mike Pence, I had to pause and think, why would he have a feud? Oh, wait, Mike Pence ran for president. No, I but he totally also forgot it about was also that. that. It was the, by the way, it was Charlie tweeted out a clip of the Tucker takedown yeah, in, yeah. Uh, at, at Iowa. It was with the family leader, whatever. And uh, it was like, you know, these people love Ukraine more than America. And he was like, pardon me, Charlie, back where I come from, this is called fake news. And it was like, no, we literally just posted what you said. Uh, Anyways. So what is the process then, Blake, you would recommend? Because you and then here is the other provocative question. Does Trump forgive too easily? What's funny is I feel like Trump can forgive too easy and not enough because what he really does is he fixates on these enemies. And this is what I worry about a bit with DeSantis is that DeSantis was not merely an opponent that Trump had to, you know, cast drive aside in order to get the nomination. I think that's kind of what Ted Cruz was like in 2016, for example. DeSantis became the Jeb Bush of the 2024 primary. That's true. He became this figure that Trump like fixated on really early. He was attacking DeSantis even before the midterms. And he really seemed to relish, you know, coming up with all the nicknames, really humiliating him. 
And I feel like any person who gets in that role with Trump, I don't know that Trump has ever rehabilitated someone from that. And I could see that causing a good amount of of long-term bitterness, at least in some quarters. Like we talked about people getting nasty politically, you know, people saying nasty stuff about Trump supporters in support of DeSantis. But the Trump campaign implied, or at least people linked with the Trump campaign implied that DeSantis's wife faked having cancer and that DeSantis was a pedophile. What did he and say about Cruz though? Cruz, his dad. He said, say, he said lots of stuff about Cruz. Killed JFK. Oh, yeah. yeah. Something yeah, like but, that. Well, but that's a factual statement. Was the Zodiac <laughs> Killer? The, the stuff right. lines up. Uh, like, yeah, the Zodiac Killer, but I think that was more mean energy. I don't. Maybe. They, uh, they both went after each other's wives. They did. There was a lot of bad stuff like that, but I do feel like things got very. There were some very wild allegations that were made about against DeSantis's family from at least people pretty adjacent to Trump world. I can't remember if there was ever a truth about it or anything like that. I, I don't think that no. I don't think that they went as hard as DeSantis at DeSantis as they did against Ted Cruz. I really don't think so. I don't think they ever suggested Ted Cruz. Like the thing about the Zodiac Killer is it's. No, it's sort no, of no, silly, no, but on. it's insane. Like, Trump, not old enough to be the Zodiac Trump killer. Trump went very savage against Heidi Cruz. You forget he he put up a picture of Heidi Cruz. Mm-hmm. Remember that? That was that was yeah. really aggressive. I, I feel like it's hard in my head. It's hard to top earnestly implying that a candidate is a pedophile. That was pretty wild to me. So the the question then remains: the bus analogy. Yeah. So does he forgive too easily? He definitely. The, he there is a criticism people. of some people. They'll say, why on earth are some of these people even being entertained back into the orbit? What will stink, I think, is Trump, def- like I said, he fixates on a few people he, who he will like never forgive. Like I think like, Jeff Sessions is probably an example of that, where yeah. Trump blames him for these things. For the so, Russia investigation. For Russia and all of this. And so never again. And I feel like he could end up doing that to DeSantis just in the sense that he loves beating up on DeSantis. But if he doesn't perceive himself as having this feud with a person, and there's only a few people that's really like, yeah, he'll just get over it immediately. And, you know, he'll have the dinner conversation with them. And three hours later, it'll just be, uh, Nikki Haley's back in MAGA camp. You know, we're going to appoint well, your secretary to, to of your state. Same, to that statement, though, I mean, look at look at the dust up. Uh, with Vivek from the last time that we were on a live stream together, all four of us on a live stream, uh, we were all talking about the dust up with Vivek Ramaswamy. We were talking about the fact that, oh my gosh, Trump is going so hard at him. He's, uh, he's calling him not MAGA. He's calling him a snake. He's saying all of these things. And then within 24 hours, maybe not even 24 hours, all of a sudden he's getting the handshake and they're on, they're on stage together. That, that surprised nobody though. No, like no one was shocked by that. Well, because Vivek, okay, I think you you talked about this earlier, Jack. You were talking about the way they comport themselves. And I will say, you know, I I was watching the chat. It seemed like the chat was like, you know, screw Steve Cortez. I I tend to be like, want to show some magnanimous love for Steve. But I don't, the the timing, I think. And I don't disagree. I'm just, I'm I'm wrestling because, you know, my my temptation, let me me just say, my my fleshly temptation wanted to say, Oh, Steve, thanks for the text, man. Where were you over the summer when you were pu- pumping DeSantis for an unnecessary primary, probably being paid way too much money by a now defunct, bankrupted super PAC? I didn't say that. <laughs> but, like, I was tempted to. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, but I was Steve, saying, like, but I hey, think while Steve we were laboring through the fields of trying to get yeah. this nomination over with, 
Yeah. But and being like, called cult members and well, all like, this was crap. He, so and the, I didn't text it for Yeah, of course. And, you know. <laughs> you just said it. But Steve never said boring, it. I texted what I was saying tempted it. to t- I said yeah. what boring I was Boring yeah. question. It's like, okay, well, politics is a mercenary business. Was he offered a thing by the Trump campaign? Or was he only offered something by DeSantis? No, and I if, don't know. I, that's, that's the difference. That's you know, a good question. I mean, I don't know. I want to believe that, that he, was, that, he was definitely family, in MAGA. No, that's fair. He was in MAGA it, circle. But his daughter was working for the Trump. But I don't know that I want to think of politics as as mercenary. And maybe that's just wasn't me Mike, being... Wasn't Mike Lee's wife working... Senator Lee's wife was working for Never Back Down when he endorsed Trump? Oops. Well, I mean, there's a lot of that. I mean, I, I, I just don't want to think of it as so mercenary. And I think this is why it strikes a certain chord when we're talking about it and why you were tweeting about it, why it was such a – I mean, you, it, I, I want to say it was the, the Jamie Dimon clip that actually set all, all of this off. I mean, Charlie, you tweeted it and went kind of viral that morning. I, mean, it, I think it's – I don't look at – so Jamie Dimon is a different bucket, right? I mean, Jamie Dimon is one of these guys that goes where the wind blows. He's a weather vane. He's – he says things that are moderately popular in the center, whatever. He's a good businessman, actually. And I think that's one category. Should you let somebody like that into your administration or your cabinet? In my opinion, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But you do want somebody like that to come do the photo op at the White House. You want to keep him at arm's well, length. So let, let me ask a question, though. Is someone like Steve Cortez more trustworthy than a silent establishment person that just lurks in the water and doesn't 100%. have any strong opinions. hundred percent. Right. The kind of Elaine Chow's of the world, the, the, yeah, the turtle, right? the turtle Chinese yeah. communist party, you know, I agree. Well, yeah. Raheem, wife. Raheem I would rather have, have Steve Cortez than all of a sudden the establishment figure that appears when Trump looks like he's going to be yeah, the nominee. There's, there's a million people who just, yeah, stay below the surface, don't say too much. It's amazing. This is a cottage industry. I have not, I, I'm going to write a piece on this. And I think it's so important. We, and I'm just learning, because all of a sudden as Trump's getting the nomination, I'm seeing texts and calls of people I haven't in a long time. And I thought to myself, they've- Same here, man. No, but it's interesting though. They weren't anti-Trump. They were kind of doing the circuit and doing the thing. They were just gone. They were just kind of yeah, gone. Yeah, they were just kind of they gone. Did one of these, and like, it's as if like a beacon mm-hmm. went out. And they're like, yeah. "I here I am." Yeah. Ask, wait, wait. But you're, I tweeted about this. I said, "All of a sudden, my phone is chirping more than the smoke alarm in Joy Reid's living room <laughs> um, with people that I haven't heard from in years." But to, uh, I wanted to get this out that Raheem had a great point about this, and Raheem and Steve have, uh, you know, I'm not going to speak for him, but you know, they were obviously very close before all this war room posse, et cetera. And Raheem had a point. He said, look, you know, there was a time in my life where I would have said, you know, screw them all and and kick them all overboard. But, uh, you know, one thing is, what are you bringing to bear? And I think, Charlie, this is kind of what you're getting at as well, is what do you bring to the table? And one thing that Steve Cortez had, and, you know, he still does have this, is that he was an excellent communicator. Um, that he did have that communication skill. He did have that chalk talk. He had that ability to bring this to bear. Now, he never really was able to put it into play for DeSantis, which, by the way, is a whole interesting story that I'd love to get to because I remember he wasn't really doing these things for DeSantis. Um, It's like they kind of put him on the shelf really, really far. And then, um, you know, the question is, do you want a guy out there every day making chalk talks like that for Donald Trump? And I was like, you know, on, on average, on net, I would rather have that on margin. It makes sense. So Jack, now, as far as high level appointments and things, that's that's well. You know, and Jack, story. I I think what's interesting about 2020, 2026 versus now, is 2026. It made sense to unite the clans, right? Like bring everybody home because Trump did not have an established backing. But what made 2023 awkward was a. And I think, Jack, you know this better than anybody, is how vitriolic and obnoxious 
the DeSantis influencers became. And then B, <clears throat> the mere fact that all of them used to back Donald Trump. So it, it was, but, but whereas in 2016, you know, the people that were anti-Trump, never Trump, they had never backed him before. Now, let's be fair. Some of the Trump influencers were a little... Um, fair, no. But, but <laughs> it's okay if you're winning. Uh, that's my rule. If you're winning... <laughs> I give you more. Like it's like you're taunting. You're you're up in the game. Well, it's also it's I, also. That, the, I, I I kid you not. If you're losing and you're obnoxious, yeah. then I really got. Well, like Eric Erickson going. But it's like, also a different standpoint. He's going to win Iowa. Yeah. Go, okay, How bye. if you're Desantis? If you're just just look at a basic game theory here. If you're Desantis, you need to convert Trump voters to win. And so if your team is running around calling everyone members of a cult, then you're not going to get those people on your side. Meanwhile, if you're uh, a Trump supporter, um, yeah, you or, you know, you can, you know, you shave off a couple of points of hardcore DeSantis supporters because, again, as you say, he is the presumptive nominee. So just basic game theory would say yeah, that the guy in, in the lead is right, able to Jack. do that. It didn't feel welcoming to be, they, they felt like it was a, an antagonistic, I, I don't know why, I, Blake, I know you disagree with me on this. I, I cannot express this, and, and, and you guys know, like, I'm very, to this day, I still feel warm feelings about DeSantis because of what he's done in Florida, and early on, I was, I was, you know, I really Andrew was, was against all the vitriol. I, I was, I know, I, was we, against, I know we don't say it, but. Hey, I was, I was against the vitriol in general. I didn't like it. Um. But the but the bottom line is I felt uh, like there was once it, it, it hit me that they were very obnoxious, very obnoxious, and I don't know that I can fully articulate why. But I know that you think that, that it went both ways, and it did. But I don't know why they they pres the, I agree the with Tucker. There there was a repulsion I felt at times with some of the Desantis people, and it, maybe it was just the snobbery, the elitism. I, I don't know. I, just, I think a lot of that was probably one. It was is it confirmation. Too, bias I think it was being or? too online, and people on Twitter are terrible, or on X are terrible. And also, I don't. know, I think it is really just it goes both ways, and you decide to only notice one. Like, I truthfully think there can be a lot of nasty behavior. But what about from, Cernovich? Cernovich is a guy that basically, and Jack, correct my facts here if I'm getting it wrong. I I read Cernovich as being. An OG Trump guy, but he was like very critical ultimately of some things that happened. So then he was very positive DeSantis, and then he just turned. He was like, "This is obnoxious. You people are like grossing me out, and I don't want to be a part of it." Plus, you just have loser energy. So I, that's a guy that was completely in DeSantis's camp. Everybody thought he was like pro DeSantis. I, I don't think it was for him. It, it was. Oh, he that was. Far. He was at one point. Yeah, but then and he, he was turned on him. at one point because uh, because he was like, I want competency. He was like, I want. He's like, I get it. Like, I love the funny bad boy stuff, the funny tweets and all. But at the end of the day, sure, you can win an election, but what does it matter if you don't get anything across the across the board when you're actually in office? Um, and the, you know, he, he said this publicly, so I'm not I'm not putting words in his mouth. But it's it, it was more this idea that if we can get a guy in who's competent and also has all of these beliefs, but without the drama, then maybe we can actually move the needle. The problem was the drama ensued. And case in point is that you had people who were on staff acting this way online, on staff, Jeremy Redfern and others on staff who were doing this, engaging these type of behavior. I want to tell everyone, let's have a conversation really quick about one of our sponsors, this medical emergency kit with twc.health slash CJ. 
CJ, that is quite a URL, isn't it, Andrew? Well, it's <laughs> CJ for Charlie and Jack. It's so, a sh- it's a it's a promo for both. So of this you. is a really cool thing because when pe- people get sick a lot, and one of the things I get text message all the time, and one of the things I'm most thankful and proud of, and Blake is going to cringe, and I don't care, is that during COVID, I referred. 50 to 60 people that were really struggling to hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, and we hit home runs every single time. Home runs. Tyler Boyer will come on this program, and he will attest how ivermectin saved his life. I, I'm telling you, dude. And Tyler right, was right, Andrew. De- Tyler was down. He was on death's door. He was, was on death's door. Tyler, I'm not kidding. Tyler, it's, Tyler not, it's, not, it's not an exaggeration. Every 34, he's every, not going no, to die. Every day. I'm not every kidding day. you. Tyler would go. Blood I'm oxygen dying. level was at like 85. I can't shake this thing. I mean, it was. It was and, Char- and then Charlie and I would side chat yeah. and go like, "Is he like?" Like is is he dying? You know. And the, oh no! And then we, we mobilized ivermectin to him. Within 24 hours, he was better. I, yeah. you know, and, I think he was probably going to get better anyway. But no, I'll let you do the copy. I'll let trust you do the copy. Me. It but was look, I mean, day. you could be like Blake, or you could have eight life-saving medications, including amoxicillin, a Z-pack that is azithromycin. Now, azithromycin is an antibiotic. Antibiotics can help with long pneumonia, all stuff. And by the way, it has been proven to say that azithromycin can relieve other symptoms related to. Uh, COVID uh, and other upper respiratory issues. Ivermectin. RSV and, going so, Yeah, that's too. right. Uh, RSV is a virus, and so whether antibiotics work on viruses uh, remains to be seen, but if you might have underlying bacterial issues that the antibiotic can solve and can make healing easier. You can rest easy knowing that you have emergency meds on hand. So here's how it works. You get a guidebook. It's an investment, right? So if you're worried about, boy, RSV, COVID, you just have this beautiful little medical emergency kit. It's, it's vetted. These guys are great. Dr. Peter McCullough, look, and I personally am so glad I have this. So, boom, something happens. You avoid hospital wait times. By the way, I have a whole – I'm not there yet, for unfortunately, because it's still ongoing. I'm going to do a whole show on the things I've learned in the American hospital system. You do not want to go to a hospital. You do not want to go to a hospital, everybody. Man, you've, been having, you've been going through the ringer at the hospital. Char- it, so, people that don't know, keeping it – you have let's, to go let's, back let's talk, to the let's hospital. Let's talk ambiguity. I, I know I'm, this is ongoing, so I want to be tre- everything to be treated well and not be like yes. not allowed yeah, in. But you have to keep going back. That's the point. I'm going back after the show. Yeah. And so anyway, so it's not for me. It's obviously for a loved one. So anyway, going to do everything I can to avoid a hospital. Um, so go to twc.health/cj. The promo code CJ saves you 10% at checkout. What do you get? Well, the wellness company is building a parallel healthcare system that we can trust to finally bring some changes to American healthcare. You go to the website and you get this beautiful kit. It includes amoxicillin, z pack ivermectin. It's all great. Um, it could be from tick bikes to COVID to extreme bioterror events. And they even have doctors if you want to talk to them. So check it out. Oh, wellness, that's interesting. Wellness, I, yeah. I wasn't thinking about it as like a prepper thing because we have like the we, – we, we have all kinds of – preppers in our audience but that's right you could keep it on yeah anyway i'm gonna i'm gonna get yeah it. so you, you you got a special kit there uh, it's a medical kit and this was definitely people text me still all the time charlie i have covid what do i do and i said look i'm not an, i'm not a medical doctor here's what other people would say you do um and dr pierre Corey talks p- favorably of this all this good stuff so check it out right now um twc.health that is twc.health check it out right now all right. Topic number two. Uh, thematically, I think we can open with a clip. So we have uh, clip 115. Welcome aboard, folks. We are very proud to share that your pilot is the most diverse pilot on record. She is a three foot two inch transgender pansexual Native American man who identifies as a six foot tall Korean woman. Any volunteers to help reach the controls are welcome. You will want to buckle up as her epilepsy is often triggered by the flashing lights in the cockpit. 
<laughs> Remember to keep a whisper volume level as she may have to consult instructional videos as a refresher during the flight. Now, can we get a big cheer for diversity? <laughs> I think that's Final Destination. Final Destination, Destination. Yeah. yeah. Plane explodes, everyone dies. And then he yeah. then gets back to being in the terminal, if I remember the movie. Yeah, correctly. yeah. Because right? it's like a Ford backward. Faith kills yeah. all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good but for you. What a, I don't think I saw more than that scene. Uh, I just remember that so vividly because it happens and then he goes back to the terminal. But who wants to take it? This is what's going on. So United Airlines, do we, we have the Kirby clip. Can we get to this? Andrew, I want you to riff on this from a PR perspective. You had a beautiful take on it earlier. And we have the Kirby. So just while they get it, just, so the reason, of course, it's in the news is people have dug up remarks uh, that United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby made in, I think, 2021. But he says, you know, United Airlines is very committed to making sure that 50% of their pilots are no, women I, I, I want to get, I wanna get color, that. Yeah. Yes. And, and by the way, just Andrew had three really good takes. First, from a PR perspective of just how the questions were asked. And then, oh, yeah. And, and remember, just like the framing, it's, it's kind of, and, and I want you to just play yeah, this tape. And the then tape, I want yeah. you to walk people through just because you listen to this from a PR kind of standpoint. Let's play cut 93, please. Yeah, that's it. Military. How is diversity and diversity targets working into the Aviate Academy? We have committed that 50% of the class of, of the classes will be women or people of color. Uh, today, only 19% of our pilots at United Airlines are women or people of color. And by the way, from all the data I've seen, that's the highest of any airline in the country. White males don't just dominate in the cockpits, also in the C-suite at United Airlines. Well, look, at United, I'm proud of the diversity that we actually have in our, our C-suite. I think if you look around corporate America, one of the things we do is for every job when we do an interview, we require women and people of color to be involved in, in the interview process. So I just want to say uh, white males dominate on the hosts of thought crime. This is not we, a diverse <laughs> we, we We have 100 percent. We have a diversity problem here on thought crime. Yeah, we do. We have we our demographics here exactly match the demographics of the men who wrote the Constitution. So, so Andrew, just riff on this because the buried lead here is not even the CEO what, answering what? the question. It's the Axios propagandists, the way he asks the question. No, the, the, this is why we say that the media is the enemy of the people, because the way he asks these questions, he he's assuming that this value system that's completely you know, arbitrary. It's just the next new thing. So he's assuming the virtue in his line of questioning. So he's demanding that the respondent, in this case, Kirby, CEO of United, fits into this moral framework that he's just established in the question. You could call it leading the question. Yeah, I mean, but the, 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 the way that, imagine Musk pushing back on this. He would basically be like, well, your question's BS. But instead, you have this weak, effeminate, turns out drag queen CEO that doesn't push back on the premise, doesn't reject the premise at all, instead parrots it back. And, and, and there's a striking moment here. 19% of United's pilot corps is minority or women. Now, no coincidence, 19% of their flights are never on time. <laughs> I, it, correlation without causation. No, I'm just, uh, they have to no, get ready. Yes, yeah, it's, 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 it's a it's a <laughs> get ready. That's gonna riff on that. I can't. So that here's here's what's crazy. Going from nineteen percent to fifty fifty. Mike's still laughing at himself. Going from nineteen percent to fifty fifty in one year. That he said our class in twenty twenty three in one year is actually impossible. And I think Blake, you made this point. Is are there even enough? women or minority potential pilots out there that want to be a pilot, I, 
Where are they going to find these people? It's the funny thing because they where's want. The, where's the supply going to come there's from? There's a diversity push in literally every industry in America. So they're like, okay, we need to have more, you know, women and people of color physicists and pilots and finance gurus and film directors. Don't forget and, surgeons. But we can't also, also it's okay that they're more common than the population in professional sports or hip hop or any of these industries. And we don't want that to go away. And you just, you need only a very basic brain here to do the, you know, do the math in your head and say, this doesn't work out. And then, you know, if you just go back to the source, okay, well, like, What's the intake from this? Well, the reason that pilots are all male is to become a pilot is hard. You need a ton of hours in the air to become a commercial and airline a lot pilot. Of veterans, let's just yeah. Put, yes. So you get people who either are veterans, and those go through a pretty tough winnowing process, or people who care enough about it and have the resources to be hobby pilots at a high amount of time. Or their parents play, paid for flight school and they're 16, 17, or 18 years old, exactly. which is a thing of upper middle class society. Yes. And so, man, you have to be careful saying that because soon we'll get Congress just allocating $50 billion to the, like, women in flight program to pay for underprivileged people to just get flight hours, and then they'll just be crashing small planes all over the well, place. I mean, but this is, I think this is the red pill of the red pill. I've, every issue where anyone who's remotely normie in my orbit goes 10 out of 10, it's the flight one. I have to be honest. Or like surgeons. Surgeon and flight are the top two where it's like they, no one really cares when it's HR managers. No one cared when it was, you know, just kind of paper shufflers or even engineers. But now when it's like, wait, wait hold on a second. Uh, you're going to remove my appendix and you're a black lesbian. Yeah. Well, you, you bring these. Did okay. you have I say to this go all through the same? I say this all the when time. When I show. get on an airplane, you know, I want my got my pilot to be like, Hi, this is Chad. Uh, maybe like a little bit of a southern accent. Chad Buckworth here. You know, no, Chad. This is my 31,000th hour. I'm kind of bored, honestly. Yeah. I could do this yeah, in my Charles, sleep. But exactly. I want, yeah. I, 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 I want just like cookie cutter. Like, pilot. yeah, this is so this is so easy to me. I, I don't want LaQuisha James. They have who that comes like pilot voice. And she's just like, hi, ladies and gentlemen. Pray for me. <laughs> and the, tr look, the, tr look, and the no, truth is, it's, it's just this is a creation that the left wanted. Because and, and, and they they think you can't say anything about it because they'll call you a racist. And this is where re you we really have to take the gloves off yeah. and say your name calling will not get in the way of people's safety at thirty five thousand. They're like feet. it's offensive to call someone a diversity hire. You guys are the ones who legally require diversity hires. Yes. You are the ones Am who I say we need to hire people no. based on skin color. If we didn't hire people based on skin color, this wouldn't happen because every pilot would be qualified. Jack is chomping at the bit here. It, am I, am I, we said this on the show today and I was like, I'm getting in trouble. I was with Mike Davis and I said, fine, I'm going to say it on, we're on human events. And I said, am I supposed to just not notice that Fannie Willis is on the exact same Soros project, Soros prosecutor trajectory as Kim Gardner was in St. Louis, the exact same trajectory. And I'm sorry, but they look almost exactly the same other than the fact that one had long hair and one had short hair. Um, they have the almost the same background. They have this very questionable legal experience. And one of them, if you remember, Kim Gardner had the prosecutor that was like lying to the grand jury. And I'm not, I don't 
don't think there's ever any evidence of a relationship, but something funky was going on there. She's she's gotten so far out that even the mayor of like the far left liberal mayor of St. Louis was like, you need to resign. Like you need to leave. And this was like, like what, last year? And then all of a sudden Fannie Willis is like, come on, she's not actually using the money for the prosecution for paying her lover off. And to, oh, so she is. And they're going on all these trips and stuff. So I'm just like, like we're, we're not supposed to know. We're not allowed to notice these things. We're not allowed to buy rich leather-bound books by Steve Saylor. We're definitely not allowed to read any of his columns. And we're certainly not going to talk about anything that he's written later on the show today. But it's like... <sighs> At what point do, and I, I guess, Charlie, that's to your point, right? It's the point where it, your life is literally in their hands that you say, all right, I can't do it anymore. Well, well, so, because well, the lies just, that you are forced to hold in your head. 19% just, they, just, they are just already collapse. diversity higher. So one out of five flights, you guys are putting your life in your own hands. This United. Well, it wouldn't have been great if he just would have pushed back and been like, well, okay, hold on. We're making some headway here. We, we're trying to, you know, at a young age, want to get them exposed to flying. But half the problem is that it tends to be white young men or that want to get say, into the pilot. Why does it matter? We want excellence. Well, like, I, screw but, you, but weird just white pushback uh, would have been a relief. A, he just assumed a, the premise was accurate. And, 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 and as if it's like perfectly fine. Like, yes, we need the most diverse flight crew ever because. Obviously, when uh, by the way, Rob Schneider has the best. I love Rob Schneider. Yeah. We we become friends. Can we play that tape, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. We had it for the show. It's so well done. But Andrew, but there's really just quick. not an acknowledgement of certain constraining limitations here, and I think that's what's so troubling is in that clip. He doesn't acknowledge that there is structural and cultural reasons for this disparity, and so you're sitting here as like a potential victim in the back of the plane, going like. Oh my gosh, like he's just going to force this through and there's he's not he doesn't seem to care about the fact that if some people can't fly so good. If Delta wanted to just dominate, they should do an <laughs> ad and be like Delta Airlines. Excellence is how we hire our pilots so, and you'll be safe. I'm yeah, telling you, yeah, yeah. they would have 20% more like t You know they'd sales. get boycotted like too a giga by, the, by the No, look, I, everything I, I, is going to be so, fine, so, man. Uh, 300 people on I hope I'm wrong. It's just someone's going to die. Because we could joke about this all we want. Well, you cannot have, it's very, very sophisticated. You hire people for sophisticated, high stakes, immediate call jobs with 50 checklist items. And you do not have competency as the core reason. Somebody's going to die. You're, okay, so in the Soviet so, Okay, go ahead, Jack. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I actually looked this up recently when this whole sort of, you know, discourse began. And in the Soviet Union, uh, it, it, it was known and it was well known at the time that it was the worst air travel in the entire world because, again, Vodka. pilots in the Soviet Union, uh, Aeroflot, were chosen for political reasons. Now, it wasn't yeah. diversity reasons, but again, it was another political, non-quality, non-qualified reason. So you had to be, you know, you had to be of the right moral character, the right, which of course was was run through the the KGB and run through the party, and uh, your family couldn't have any dissidents in it, and all of this stuff. And uh, you you would get literally hundreds, almost a thousand plane crashes throughout the history of the USSR, like something like 700, like this insane number, um, all the way up to the point where, and this is why people still to this day ride the train a lot in, in that part of the world because they're just, they're just used to that. They're used to air travel being incredibly dangerous uh, up to the point in the 1990s, if anyone remembers this, 
Um, I don't remember this, but I know about it because uh, Michael Crichton wrote a whole book about this, but it actually took place, his book takes place in the US, but this is an incident that actually happened in Russia in the 1990s. So it's a couple of years after the Soviet Union fell, but you still kind of have this, this pilot corps that's made up of like political apparatchiks and such, where, um, the, yeah, the pilot allowed his 15-year-old son and his 13-year-old daughter to take the controls while, um, you know, while everyone's asleep on like a long haul flight and um, they accidentally disengaged the autopilot um, and were flying the plane itself and literally flew the plane into a mountain in Russia and killed everyone on board. And this was like Aeroflot, full commercial flight, just completely insane, completely insane. Let's his kids take the controls. And uh, sorry, by the way, I just spoiled the book uh, for anyone who was reading it or wanted to read it. But uh, this stuff has actually happened and like not that long ago in our history, which by the way, and you know this is gonna happen next because whenever there was a whistleblower anywhere in the Soviet Union who wanted to like come out and actually explain what was going on, uh, you can only imagine what happened to them. And I guarantee that's the exact same thing the federal government will do when it comes to the diversity hire captains on our end. If anyone's at Boeing or at United, that's why they've got to run to, and I implore you, please go to James O'Keefe and get the, the information out now because people are going to die. We are, we are going to have planes raining, raining down on the United States before this is done. I, I hope, you're, I hope wrong. you're wrong. Yeah, that's that's the the, the it's, truth it's, of it. But I, I can I make know, two po- two points. <laughs> Charlie, you've been you've been zeroing in on these issues, and it, I don't know if you've been doing it on the show as much or on the chat. But you say that's a red pill issue. Trust me, this is a red pill issue. And what we're really getting at is I talk to when, a lot of normies. Yeah, well, what you're really getting at, and see, this is why I've always been like migration, 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 yes. or illegal immigration, whatever you want, because it's something that you feel. Very yes. viscerally, it's it, it, you 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 walk on your streets and you're like, man, ten years ago my street used to have my neighbors on it, and now it doesn't. And there's all these people that don't speak my language, yes. and it's and it's very disorienting. And it and people will vote that way. That's this is we're seeing this upend the Western world, right? Guns are like this because it's very personal. You're trying to take something away that makes people safe. Mm-hmm. Um, you you're talking about the Chilean. Uh, robbery rings. Yes. Because people are like, I don't feel safe in my home. And we can see from the crime statistics that they're going up. Inflation, <laughs> it hits personally. And that's why I think this United story and the DEI story yes. hits so hard because we've all been in the back of a plane when the turbulence hits or when you're flying through a storm and you're like, I'm so glad I saw the guy with the right stuff and the square jaw get into the cockpit before we took off. And I feel better now. Thank you. No, I mean, about like, that. you want to go thought crime? Like, I'm sorry. If I see a black pilot, I'm going to be like, boy, I hope he's qualified. Well, well that's the you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have. You wouldn't have done that before. That's not an immediate. No, you wouldn't have done that before. That's not who I am. That's no. not what I believe. It is the reality the left has but created. I, I, I want to be as blunt as possible because th- th- now I'm connecting two dots. Wait a second. The CEO just said that he's forcing that a white qualified guy is not going to get the job. So I see this guy. He might be a nice person. I say, boy. I hope he's not a Harvard-style affirmative action student yeah. that has points for, and he like he he landed half of his flight simulator, you know, trials. That's, that's the thing. It's and I just I, such I, I, a good and, point. And by it's the way, so fair. it also it creates like unhealthy thinking patterns. I don't want to think that way, no. Yeah. and no one should, right? I mean, I so then I kind of sit down. And I'm like, boy, I hope you have to. 
You and know, and okay. by the way, then you couple it with the FAA air traffic control. They got a bunch of morons and affirmative clip. action people. Yeah, let's play cut one twelve. What is? The, can you can you give me some context of what this, this is? This is a so when you land, there's a dialogue that goes on between the pilot and air traffic control. So you've got this pilot. Is this real? This is real, apparently, and he's he's How having a debate. This? Well, it's going around. Somebody probably leaked it to James O'Keefe. But like, he's having a debate with air traffic control, and she's trying to tell him how she thinks she should, she sh he should land. And he's saying, "Woman, I've been doing this for 15 years. I think I know what I'm doing." And Do you she remember goes, when I, just I said googled this? this? Do you remember when I said this a couple weeks ago? I said, "What they're they're hiring a bunch of blacks for no reason at air traffic control for no, and they're they're, no, no, they're, they're, they're this started in the Obama years. This no, is no, actually I know. A story. I'm yes. saying though, this has been going on, and I've been getting whistleblowers from the FAA for years, and yeah. people would say you're a racist, you're this. Play cut 112. For a short approach, if you're going to do a power off 180, that's my point. Well, okay, I will remember that from now on, no problem. Yeah, when you ask for a short approach, I expect you to turn your base to beam the numbers. All right, this will be a full stop for 6-5 Charlie, and uh, maybe we need to talk about that some more because you're the first controller in 15 years that's ever said that. Well, I'm just, you know, I, I, if you ask for a short approach, a short approach is when you turn your base to beam the numbers. If I know you're a student asking for a short approach, I know you're out there practicing and you probably will extend. But if you're doing something other than a short approach, don't ask for a short approach. Well, I will definitely look up the definition of short approach because I've never seen where it says you turn base of beam the numbers because I don't see how you could possibly do that. Well, I Googled it, actually. I Googled short approach, and it says ah! you beam or before the numbers, and you will no! land probably Is this real? around this field. It sounds real. No, I, I, no! I want to... Can we make? Can, well, can I? Then, uh, where did this I come from? Can we get the, the chirp? Thing, I need the chirp. Because, uh, Where's my <laughs> chirp? <laughs> come on, guys. We got to be quicker on the chirp. Where did this? Come from? Can you find this? Where this came from, Blake? I'll look into it. I want to make sure this is 100 percent right. By the way, not. But the I fact never that, heard this before. I didn't know that was coming. God, no. Oh, so, so I, I just, We're all I, dead. We're all this dead. is a pilot who's 35,000 feet in the air trying to land a plane full of passengers, communicating with some moron who is no better than. Like you know, th just customer service. Uh, to be honest, though, she sounded somewhat it's a real person. The woman is Brenda Mooney, and she's apparently a air traffic controller at the small airport of Denton, Texas. So this was a real dialogue. Apparently, at least they've fingered a real person, and there's a petition with 1,700 signatures to have her removed. Well, I, look, my money's on the pilot. Okay, um, I'm going to be honest. I don't know the technical stuff of what they're talking about at all. I have plenty of pilots that I can ask, but I could say this. You know, a lot of people email the show. I have had pilots and air traffic control say, Charlie, you have no idea what's happening in air travel. The woke mind virus has taken over. People are going to die. Planes are going to fall out of the air. The New, even the New York Times has covered this. They've covered how there's this huge increase in near, near misses. Near misses, yeah. Well, and because at some point, the New York Times wants to go to the Bahamas. Yeah. And well, even they are like, I don't know how it, I'm going to be exempt from this one. Part of it, though, is that there's just simply more air travel, right? And so there, there used to be a rule... In aviation, and I'm out of my depth here, but this was explained to me that you you used to have to fly 2,000 feet apart, like on top of each other, right? So you had to have 2,000 feet of clearance, plane over plane, if you were going to come within a certain proximity to one another. At some point, that was deemed to be too much trouble for the air aviation industry, and so they lowered the threshold to 1,000 feet of clearance. Um, which just means the planes are flying closer together midair, especially as you approach busy, uh, you know, airports and things like that, but cities. Because remember, it's not just commercial air travel. 
we've got Cessnas, you got private jets, you got uh, you know hobby flyers. So it's a it's a complicated. I just want to. I just want to say it's a, it's a complicated field, and there's a lot going on on a lot of variables. Just, but well, Wall Street Journal, comp- FedEx, yeah. Southwest planes come within a hundred feet of each other during close call. I mean, well, this is happening sh- all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, it, it's a complicated field, but it is it one needs where we're to be done right. <laughs> endlessly yeah. but, but messing with it, it. It's not that complicated because we actually came to a place of agreed upon standards and safety, and now we're deciding to destroy that. And to Andrew's point. My working hypothesis, which I think is rather unique to us and me, is that the politics of taking is way more powerful than the politics of even giving. You're taking someone's abortion rights away. You're taking their guns away. You're taking their country away. You're taking kids away. It, it is immediate. It's personal. You imagine your life without that thing, taking of gas stoves, the taking of your car. And the side that is doing the taking tends to not be as popular. And that's why abortion tends to be not a winning issue for us currently, is it feels as if we're going in and interfering and taking something away from people. Now, putting that aside, it doesn't – I just – I can't imagine how the Democrats will spin this one. And by the way, House Republicans, you want to get a PR win? Drag the United Airlines CEO. Oh, yeah. You, I mean, just the same way that what Put Elise, Elise Stefanik, Stefanik yeah. did with Harvard. Bring this guy up. I forgot about how bad it was with the FAA's you oh, know, it's bad. gutting the standards. So this was covered with Tucker Carlson back when I was there you in 2018. You can take the screen if you guys want. And so part of this was they took a lot of the skill-based stuff and they replaced it with a biographical questionnaire. Do you have the right traits to be a pilot? They love to... Anytime you're running into affirmative action crap, they do this biographical questionnaire stuff. That's how they always get away with hiring criminals and stuff. So starting in 2014, the FAA added a biographical questionnaire to the application process for being an air traffic controller. Applicants with a lower aptitude in science got preference over applicants who had scored excellent in science and applicants who had been unemployed for the previous three years got more points on the quiz than licensed pilots got. They actively were looking for unqualified people <laughs> to hire them. And they do this. They do this a lot. Joy Reid has broken into the thought crime lab. And it's, it's unreal. And I, a story I linked this with in my head just now is, did you hear that the moon landing got delayed again? So NASA was supposed to land on the moon in 2025, and I think that was already delayed from 2024. Oh, I thought this was like a joke setup. No, no, they're, they're delaying the, the moon I actually landing thought it was a joke to 2026. Even though I knew it was in the SpaceX show chart, or NASA. The NASA, because we have that Artemis program, which we yeah, named because it's going to send the first woman was, to the moon. By the way, and Elon would never mess the first with woman on the moon. Well, that, no, it needs more time so to I, get I, ready. They're suing a, Elon because yeah. he doesn't have enough refugees. So at, you I, know. I have an Elon theory. After, by the way, Jack and I are both reading the book together. Uh, that, that's I, he I wants want, to go to yeah, Mars no, to get away wait, from wait, diversity wait. mandates. Wait, Charlie, can I just say though? Uh-huh. I knew that the that the and it's it's along these lines. I knew that this mission was not going to work. And you know how you know how I know that the moon landing wasn't going to work. This this latest one they were talking about because Elon hadn't talked about it. If I heard it from him. I might say, okay, all right, yeah, if he was hyping it. But the fact that he hasn't even mentioned it once is like, okay, yeah, it's not happening. The uh, So let's get to the next topic here because we're already in an hour. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, So this was, uh, we've got it. I think we have it. I think I sent it to you guys earlier, but if not, I have it on the screen too. So this is an article actually uh, from Steve Saylor, who we've had on the show before. He's great. He uh, had a thing in Tacky's Magazine where he has a weekly column. I encourage people to read it. And it's, he calls it Drowning in Data. And one of Steve's big things is he's famous for covering homicide stuff, but he also ta- likes to talk about traffic, de- traffic deaths, and he likes to talk about drowning. And 
a good number of people are aware there are racial gaps in how often people drown. Mm -hmm. uh, black people, unfortunately, don't know how to swim as often. They have a higher rate of drowning deaths. And in fact, it can be pretty bad uh, if you look at the CDC's own data, drowning deaths per 100,000 people. It's about 1.5 per 100,000 for black Americans. And it's more like one per 100,000 for uh, like Hispanics and Asians, for example. And that's, you know, that's many hundreds of people over the course of a year difference. And he just points out one of the ways we used to fight against that was we used to encourage learning how to swim. So, for example, American colleges used to have a swim test very frequently in order to graduate. In fact, when I went to Dartmouth, that was a requirement at Dartmouth. You had to pass a swim test when you showed up. And if you did not pass it... So you actually it, had to do it? You, you got had in to a pool? It. Yeah. And there were even stories of people who didn't know they didn't it. do it when they matriculated they put it off because you could take a class of course they put it off and then it get, comes time to graduation and they're like you guys haven't passed the swim test and they have to go <laughs> you, you don't get to walk to go do it and i'm pretty sure they got rid of it I during COVID. It. it feels very old americana like a really cool vestige of the past but what's depressing is they're getting rid of this yeah, and the justification like is you can probably guess charlie take a wild guess what the justification for getting rid of swim tests for colleges racist it's racist it's not okay because because black kids don't swim they're less likely less to know how to, to swim and this is embarrassing for them and what steve points out is you know he's like as opposed to being anti-racist i'm anti-drowning <laughs> and i think we should not have people drown even if it's of a certain race and it makes people feel awkward to confront well, it so his other point though is that it it's actually he makes a point that it's about black women and their hair and getting wet not just that, also that they have a higher obesity rate. Is right, what he says. right. So they don't want to get, in, they don't want to get in the water. It's distressing, all of this stuff. And so he ends the piece. My, I got the quote here. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, go My ahead. guess is that the chief agitators, and you can just see how Steve would say this. My Very guess dryly, is that yeah. the chief agitators for abolishing college swim requirements are black yeah. women who tend to be more overweight than their rivals. And he says, while many obese black women believe they look fine, the kind who get into Williams, that's a big you know, liberal elite, arts school. Yeah. It is the liberal uh, They school. tend to be aware that they don't match elite society's beauty standards while wearing bathing suits. In turn, though, the chief victims of anti-swimism, as he says, are, are black men. They're more likely to drown. But in this age of Black Lives Matter, who cares about black lives? Now, I don't know if he's correct about that hypothesis of what's driving it. It's, it's very Steve. fascinating. It's though. very Steve to think of that one. It's, it, it's a, and this is the same guy that we should tell the audience, if you're not aware, has done really incredible work highlighting traffic fatalities in post-BLM, you know, yeah. and how it's actually killing a lot of uh, black drivers because they don't get pulled over anymore because that would be racist and, and racial you know, targeting. And so it's actually killing a lot of black men. And this is sort of a similar vein yes. where it's like, well, racism is now killing more black people. S Steve Saylor has the radical point of view that fewer black people should drown. Fewer black people should die in car wrecks. Fewer black people should be run over and fewer black people should be murdered. And for that, he's considered super racist. Again, this so I go ahead. Go ahead, Jack. I, no, I was just going to say, you know, I, I do have some lived experience with this. Um, you know, so uh, I was in the Navy, which means I went through a Navy boot camp. And when you go through a Navy boot camp, um, you uh, and, and a lot of people, I guess, didn't know this, uh, or at least I found out didn't know this, that when you join the Navy, it is a requirement that you know how to swim so that if you fall off the boat, uh, that hopefully there will be some chance of 
recovering you. Um, this, you know, I, I don't want to make light of that because apparently we did, we actually lost two Navy SEALs uh, earlier this week in a situation like this. Now, obviously, we're a Navy SEAL. Um, I mean, prob probably more than just falling happens, and you've got a lot of equipment with you and such. And so I, I certainly hope that their uh, their remains are recovered off the coast of um, of Yemen, I believe is where it was, um, Babel Mandeb area. But the situation being that when so here's how it works you you take the test and you know you you jump off of uh it's like a 15 foot high diving board uh you jump in the pool i think you swim like 500 meters uh, it's an l shape you know as you have to do a turn and then you're allowed to do one of three different strokes as you swim uh breaststroke the uh combat side stroke or or basically like the frog stroke so you know it's it's pretty simple and uh you know most people don't have a problem with it then you have to show that you can float prone for five minutes and without touching the sides and then you also have to show that you can or the bottom and then you have to show that you can use your coveralls as a flotation device um and it's you know it's 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 most people pass it on the first go around but if you have not passed it on your first go around you then have to go every single day twice a day until you pass the test and i will just say that after like the first couple iterations of that um you know it, it, it m most of the people most of the people who were showing up for the remedial swim class in navy boot camp let's just say they shared similar characteristics right it was, it was mostly black guys um and you know what, i remember that's, that actually, the point is jack it's not racist it's a cultural thing and they get to they get to go to the navy and they get to learn how to it swim. Might, it actually might be biological too. They have lower body fat percentage on average. Yeah, but I come think. on, so, a black but... Jack, you're, tell me the story ends with the black dudes learning how to swim, even though they didn't grow up in communities homes that like took them to swim class when they were four. Well, generally, and yeah. and generally they, people would, would try to help them. You know, I, or or you get washed out, right? And so. Um, I remember if, you know, uh, which is, which is, you know, the, I think it's gonna be funny. It's like, oh yeah, all, all right. Jack Posobiec was trying to help like his black shipmates, you know, learn how to swim or Far whatever. right but, extremist um, Jack yeah, Posobiec yeah, yeah. pictured teaching black men to swim. Yeah. I mean, well, no, it's, I used to have but this line. I was like, I was like, it's, I was like, guys, all right. It's all psychological. It really is all psychological, by the way. And what I would say is, all right, if your body is 75% water, that means you only have to worry about floating 25%. You guys can do 25% of effort. It's not that hard. And it was it just struck me as so wild that well, this, you know, yeah. even after so many days there were a lot of people that couldn't get it. But I will say like I have definitely 100% seen this with my own eyes. It's not something that was was not known, but unfortunately, we're now being told that we have to lower our standards in order to help with this. And then more importantly, which is even crazier, I, I was just looking this up in show prep today uh, for this, the US Navy, um, uh, United States Naval Institute up in Rhode Island is now calling for the Coast Guard to lower their swim test because they're saying the Coast Guard isn't diverse enough because their swim test is much more involved than the one that I just said. And I said, well, wait a minute, shouldn't the Coast Guards be more involved? Their job is literally to save people who are in distress at sea. That's the point of the Coast Guard. So they wanna take those people and then, and I quote tweeted Steve Saylor for saying this, and it's it's going quite viral, is to take the, the people whose job, imagine, right, imagine you're, you know, your your summit, James O'Keefe, we mentioned him again. You know, he's a guy who who enjoys sailboating. Imagine something happens, you get caught up in a storm squall, whatever, uh, and you need Coast Guard assistance. And then ima now imagine you got someone coming that barely even knows how to swim or pass the checkbox, and you're all dead, in including the people trying to save you, by the way.
Well, this is where we need humor to come back because I grew up in an America where black people joked about themselves not knowing how to swim. And it was just kind of like culturally baked into the cake and they all knew it was hilarious. And uh, say, yeah, and you wait, you don't know how to dance. On the flip side, I'm spacing on the name, but there was a there was an NFL player or at least a drafty in the 80s who drowned while trying to save some kids who were drowning themselves. He oh. himself did not know how to swim. But he saw some but children drowning and so tried brave. to save them, oh, and he died. And he was like a national hero for this. It was a big deal. I don't deal. remember this story. But wouldn't and the solution just be teach him how to swim? Well, that's, that's the gonna, thing. Is but this a is healthy mindset. Any, anyone no, can learn how listen, to swim. This is the it's problem. sort of growth mindset versus that's racist mindset. Like the best way you close the gap is like, figure out how to do it. Like, just imagine if we had a national thing. Everyone should well, know how to swim in America. Everybody, okay. In this group, Swimming's who grew up hard. with their parents taking them to swim class? Yeah, of course, when it was, I was a priority. Kid. I to, yeah, I went to swim lessons. By when the way, I was do you like know why my parents to... told me? They said, yeah. I never want you to be afraid on a boat or near water. And I'm not. But in black culture, that is not as... The, the, the percentage is lower. I don't know what the percentage is of how many black families... Maybe look it up. It's like, how many black families... Of course, it's... it's, 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 so it's I think it's in the article. It's de-emphasized. Yeah, it's of just it's the, culturally de-emphasized. That's like, not because of racism, though. No, it's culturally de-emphasized. And unfortunately, though, unfortunately, and this is mentioned in the article as well, that um, black children die, dying in, like, motel or hotel pools because they see the pool and they want to get in and they want to have fun, unfortunately, it's at a much higher rate than white kids or Hispanic kids. And of course, you know, here we are on Thrawkheim where it's like, oh, it's like, oh, ha ha, we're going to laugh. It's like, no, actually, we're not laughing. We're saying this is obviously a, a problem in the United States that we would like to see fixed. Same as the homicide problem, same as the car, you know, the traffic fatality problem. Again, we, we want to live in a world where these things aren't happening, but we have to actually be able to talk about them first before we can deal with that. I just want to say the name of the player is Joe Delaney is the uh, oh, so he got a presidential citizen. I, yeah, I just from... I mean, let's just be honest. Seventy five percent of blacks don't have a dad around and learning to swim is largely the dad's like deal. Oh, my time. mom took me. Uh, I'm not sure yet. about that. <laughs> I do. Well, right, Jack. Do you agree? Yeah, my my dad would would strap my floaties on and then throw me in just throw me in the above ground pool at my Nana's house. I was going to say dad's like, take the... it out. Yeah, dads take the kids on the adventure. My my experience is it's sort of it's one of those like parenting things, you know, mom shovels well, you to I, swim class. She, when she, you're no, five. that's different though. But the instructors, at least for my experience, were largely male. It's more hands-on. It's more I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. So yeah, I had the exact opposite women. experience. That's the only reason why I'm kind of going like my mom took me to swim class when my dad was at work or whatever. And then, but I will tell you, I went on like more water adventures with my dad, where I actually had okay. to put it into practice, where I got comfortable in the water. So at lakes and things like that, fishing. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is another reason boating. to be sad. The Boy Scouts are terrible now because swimming's They're a huge oh, don't get Charlie Scouts. started on it. Don't I mean, get it. I'm an Eagle Scout. Don't get me started. Same here. And it's really heartbreaking. What's the, to what's me the how other bad one, Charlie? What's the, uh, what's like trail the replacement life. organization? Trail Life. Yeah, Trail Life. Thank yeah. you. I just read their, um, they just did a partnership with Brave Books, actually. Oh, did they? That's good. Yeah, yeah. We just read it the other day, but of course, me, I, mean, I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, Trail Life. Um, so I, I want to do a little audible, guys, here, if that's okay. But, Jack, I think that'd be a fun last segment because you and I were involved in this. What do you think? Is kind of an audible at the end because it, it's this week. Just replying to all the MLK incoming that you and I got. Oh, yeah, sure. I, 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 th I think it would be really great. These people that I actually know that refuse not to text or email or call, but they write these incredibly, dare I say, sanctimonious, snobbish op-eds. <laughs> 
and from a totally emotional standpoint. And, by and the way. I just want everyone. This is what's so cool is that I had some. There was one guy. His name rhymes with Sora Bamari. Yeah, I even forgot about him. What an awful piece. It was barely legible. But I mean, it's like Sora his vocabulary. And I texted him that. I said, "You, what is this? You were on the text, by the way. I, I was okay, so I disappointed actually, I'm glad that you brought piece. that up and reminded me because there's was, one piece that it was, I like. Wait, Sora, wait, wait, Charlie. Be, you haven't explained what they're talking no, about. You haven't explained what we're talking about. It was about. intellectually so shallow. Okay, but Sorab has... we. We he's, like him on one he, issue. Well, he was great against David French. Well, he's not okay. great anymore. Well, okay. But Hold it was, on. and he, he had even, us, and even wanna, admitted in his wait, text wait, wait, message. Wait, wait, guys, guys, we, we haven't explained we what exactly. Yeah, yeah, what are we about? explaining? What are we explaining? People can't, you guys can't understand the, <laughs> people I, I can't understand the conversation if you don't say we're we're talking about MLK. MLK is about the MLK stuff. Well, maybe we didn't. I don't know. So Charlie took on MLK, but this was what was funny about it. Charlie, you brought it up in a passing comment, wired. Somehow got the clip and was like, Charlie's well, going to. we said to. it at AmFest, too, at a well, breakout. Yeah. And they got, we, we posted to our podcast feed, which is fine. I mean, I owned it. Yeah. So, so And then so then we were like, oh, we really should go hard on it. Honestly, we probably wouldn't have gone so hard on Correct. it. Uh, Jack, you were extremely supportive, I will say. Um, not, not even just during Martin Luther King Day, but like before, uh, you, you caught the vision. And Charlie, to your credit, you said, listen, I grew up. You know, sort of like everybody else, thinking MLK could do no wrong. Then we found out more, and we changed our mind because. And by the way, you didn't you didn't major on this on MLK Day. I'm telling you my personal visceral reaction reading some of the FBI accounts of this man. When we say he was a serial adulterer, that does not do justice <laughs> to just how disgusting. He was, according to the FBI. Orgies. And we're talking orgies, running train on parishioner women. Uh, that that, and I think you can say that. Can you say that? That's what it's thought Vince, crime. That's what Vince Ellison said. So I'm just quoting him. By the way, he was brilliant. And the by show. the way, the media ignored him. Do you know totally, that? Not a single he's piece. A black man. Not a single piece attacking me mentioned Vince Ellison. No, and he, and Vince Vince was called him a false prophet. He said, "Look at the fruit of his movement. The black community is worse off." But I, I'm telling you, you what's the author's name? Gallo. Yeah, Garrow. Uh, Garrow. 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 Yeah, he's an MLK he, scholar. He's what a, a Pulitzer. Pulitzer. What a Pulitzer. Yeah. He he is document. He basically says there's no reason to doubt the FBI's telling of events because there was no precedent at the time for these hidden files to be released to the public. So this was pre-church uh, committee. And they're they're basically and you could tell they got a dog. They were like a dog with the bone. They saw what a degenerate he, he was. Even, he even distinguishes it from some of the communist stuff on King, which we went into. A lot of his yeah. friends were associated with communists, but he's written stuff where he says there's no reason to believe MLK himself was a communist. Maybe friendly with them, maybe too close to them. That's well, up to interpretation. Certainly, but not himself a communist. And, and then he distinguishes away. that from the adultery stuff, no. where he says. And he also says a lot of the communist stuff on King is secondhand, thirdhand. Someone's like, I knew him, and he seemed sympathetic. And then with the adultery stuff, it's all these FBI guys saying, yeah, we bugged his phone, which they did do. And it's just, it's crazy no, what and we're it was hearing. Like, and, then, and, and then Hoover, who, you know, he has some issues. Historically, we could get into that. But you could tell it was, it was like it, it captured his imagination. So he's like, bug that place and bug that place. So every hotel he's going to, they're bugging and getting ahead of him in advance. And they are like, whoa, he just has another woman here. And he's got another woman here. And he's so flagrant about it. And so what, what was the word he used, Garrow? He said body. He had this body sense of humor. He was like this sick, maniacal, joking 
disposition toward these women that he used and abused and threw, threw out. And, and he, he was, was a pastor. Pastor. That's what's important. There is an allegation in one of, I, I can't have it in front of me. It was one of the articles I read while researching this. But apparently in they got a phone call where Coretta Scott King, his wife, is complaining. You don't spend enough time at home. Yeah. And he apparently replies by saying, "Yeah, you should just you should have a, a guy on the side yeah, too. Yeah, go get some, go have some affairs. Yeah, and and this is this is the part that is just so crazy to me. How you cannot see this, people? You do not live a private life like this, and have it not affect what you believe and your value set and the way that you approach the world. You cannot look at this man the same way." Once you know this about him. Well, and so well, also he has a higher good. approval rating than Jesus. Yes. That's, and he and called himself a reverend. He, so 96% approval rating. He's Jesus a is at 90. And there's so much more here, but I just want to kind of pl- just read some of this here. And the, w- one of my favorite, I mean, I just, I, I chuckle at this. This guy, Armstrong Williams, who I like, and he's a friend. He could have called me or emailed me, but he's afraid to call me or email me because he know I wouldn't put up with it. So instead he just writes the article and then hides behind it. Quote, Kirk's assault on Dr. King is as farcical. Is that how you say it? Fars- fars- farcical. Yeah. Not a word I use. As would a middle school student's critique of Albert Einstein's theories as ludicrous as Pontius Pilate's declaiming against Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. Oh, so questioning MLK is challenging the laws of physics and Jesus Christ. What's great is it just it actually supports what we said, which is he's become a Christ-like figure in America. We we picked dangerous yeah, it, it, fights. It's so funny. Say. It's like people say, "Oh no, he's not a Christ-like figure." By the way, going after him, you might as well attack Jesus. Like, whoa, 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 which is it? And mind you, not a single one of these articles by this other. Guy I've never heard of Delano Squires. The Blaze attacked me. I don't know why the Blaze is attacking me. Would love an explanation for that. Why they're writing articles against us. You know, anyway, that really ticks me off. It gets And so yeah, he writes this Martin Luther King versus Charlie Kirk and the irreverent right. And this is my he says, quote, conservatives claim that the history of slavery in America should not be judged by today's moral standards. This is this is guy's such a moron. This is Yet, a dumb argument. This is really dumb. Yet they blame Dr. King, quote, for ideas they find objectionable today more than 50 years after he was assassinated. Wait a second. No, running train on congregants was wrong 50 years ago, pal. This is what we point and out. Raping women was wrong 50 years ago. Yeah. We point yeah. out that at the time, he just he actually was. Uh, it was more he wrong was a then, very disputed yeah. figure, and his popularity but was going down. He wasn't popular. And then the yeah. best argument that I hope people understand, and then, okay, so I, I dialogue with people I respect who disagree. They say, no, no, the myth of MLK must live on. Oh, okay, so acknowledge it's a myth. That's fine. Is it a helpful myth? Is it the best myth? That's fine. But the people that, like, defend this bitterly, I just want to make this final point, which is, hold on a second. You do realize as he got the Civil Rights Act passed and the Voting Rights Act passed and the Great Society, he got angrier and demanded more money from white people. He was Le- he was like revolutionary by the time. He oh, was yeah. Let me let me read some of these quotes. I was just texting this. To, let me just read some of this because I think it's important. He said white Americans. This is near the end of his life. Must recognize that justice for black people cannot be achieved without radical changes in the structure of our society. That's how a race Marxist talks. That is how Tahanisi Coates or Eva Max Kendi or Kimberly Crenshaw talks. Jack, we both tweeted about this. Talk about it. Look, um, you know, and it's and I, we've talked about the personal failings here, and, and and this is huge, right? And and I know that that Matt Walsh wrote a, a piece about this as well, and said, you know, if we're going to talk about uh, you know Thomas Jefferson and Washington holding slaves, then we can talk about the personal failings of others. But I, I think it's different because. Uh, Thomas Jefferson and George Washington have a legacy which is called the United States of America. 
and our constitutional republic. And, you know, obviously we're, we're trying to fix that. And, and Charlie, you had a fantastic interview with Curtis Yarvin all about that this week. Um, but they have a legacy that you can point to, whereas it's really the legacy of Martin Luther King that we're also questioning, okay? And rather than just the personal life, we're also questioning the public life. And we're saying, did it make sense for him to not fully condemn the rioting that was going on during the time? Did it make sense for him to push for these bills that radically changed our government? Uh, interestingly enough, the the Libertarian Party came out in like full support of everything that we were saying. Uh, they talked about the Civil Rights Act. They talked about how the Voting Rights Act complete is it's just completely racist in the way it deals with uh, districting and the way it gerrymanders. It requires districts to be gerrymandered uh, along racial lines. Uh, talked about how the Civil Rights Act essentially enshrined uh, race consciousness in federal policy. And, and there's many, many more examples of this. And so the question is, you know, are we questioning Martin Luther King's status as an American myth, or are we questioning whether or not the legacy of Martin Luther King, which we live under now today, is something that we still want yeah, to live I, under? Because I, I, if we're I, actually fighting this stuff, we got to fight it at its root. Frederick Douglass, Ben Carson, Thomas Sowell, and Justice Clarence Thomas are far better black role models to celebrate than Martin Luther King, period, end of story. But the, and I don't want to get too deep into this. I can listen to the episode. But Blake, you were part of this. Kind of, What's your reaction on this whole week? This has been interesting. I, I, I definitely agree with Jack. The reason, I think you would have a point. Like, why are you just going after this, like, long dead martyr if that was kind of the only thing it is? But he is a lynchman. He's a key figure of a narrative that, kind of dictates the way America is today in a lot of ways that all conservatives find objectionable. We're always like, why does political correctness rule everything? Why does everything seem race-obsessed? Why is the government kind of trying to socially engineer everything in all these ways? And it all goes back to the 60s. Well, why can't we change any of the laws in the 60s? Because they aren't normal laws. They've become this sort of sacred scripture. They've become the testament of a national martyr and hero that we've made a holiday out of. It's just untouchable. And so this is especially what I think has to be brought up when we talk to conservatives about this who complain and they're just like, how can you do this? This is not productive. Well, as we said on Monday, if you want to change this, this actually is something that you're going to have to confront because to make the necessary changes, you have to get over the hump of, well, we have these laws from the 60s that make it impossible to do otherwise. And what's funny to me is we actually were able to get over it with the Voting Rights Act a few years ago. Like in the early 2010s, we were getting serious Republican legal challenges to parts of the Voting Rights Act that made it essentially impossible to do certain forms of election integrity. We just said, hey, this is a massive restriction on states' rights. One of the big ones was the Voting Rights Act had components of it where you just huge chunks of America, specific counties and entire states we singled them out and we just said, you're not allowed to make your own election laws unless the Department of Justice clears it. And so you'd get these things where the Department of Justice would just say, oh, yeah, you can't have uh, nonpartisan elections because uh, would hurt Democrats. Sorry, you can't do it. And so they sued and said, OK, at a minimum, it has to be possible to get off this list. And the Supreme Court ruled that way. And that was a challenge to the Voting Rights Act. And then you had to campaign against the Voting Rights Act. And. That's kind of the bigger picture of this is if you want to have strength as conservatives, you have to have an internal moral locus of control where you can go against something and like, but this is called the, you know, good things and happy children and puppies act. You don't oppose the good things and happy children and puppies act. And we're like, yeah, we do, because that law, that law is bad. 
And that's kind of what you have to learn to be able to do with the Civil Rights Act. You can say civil rights are good. You can say equality is good. Non-discrimination is good. But the Civil Rights Act is a specific law with specific effects. Yep. Many of them are harmful. And we kind of have to train conservatives to think that way. And it might be that this is a way we have to do it. I will say outside of 8 to 10 strongly worded op-eds and 100, 200 tweets of the intelligentsia, the rank and file have been overwhelmingly supportive. And that's really, really promising about this week. I'm talking about very few negative emails, in fact, overwhelmingly positive, very few negative text messages. And it kind of goes to show that sometimes the intelligentsia, they're not in touch with what the people actually want. They desire truth. Running out of time. Final thoughts, Jack. Look, there are times when you need to push the Overton window. Okay, there are times. And I think this is, I, I don't think it should be done for fun. I don't think it should be done lightly. I don't think it should be done without purpose. And I think in this situation, we actually have found and struck all three of those. It is not being done lightly. It is being done for purpose and is not just being done for fun. Uh, in fact, I, I wouldn't say this was very fun, actually, it's in well terms said. of all the things that we've got into. Um, but it actually does serve this purpose because if we were if we were going to get to, and and Blake and I talked about this on, on, on our you know, episode that kind of kicked all this off, uh, that we do want to get to this this ideal of a colorblind society, but you're never going to do that with the weight of the 60s hung around our necks like an albatross. All right, guys, we are out of time. Keep yep. committing thought crimes. Email us freedom at charliekirk.com. Thought crime. It's all the whole, the whole existence is a big thought crime. These are our thought criminals. That's right. The audience. Steve Saylor, shout yes. out to the grandfather. Whether they sit at the front crime. of the bus or the back What'd of the bus, the bus driver should be hired purely on merit. Jack, what did you say? I said, oh, I said, shout out to Steve Saylor, the grandfather of thought crime. <laughs> it's no joke. God bless you guys. See you next week. Thought crime is death.